You're listening to Something Real with Pastor Rich Zeiger and Stacy Cozio, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. Thanks for joining us. I want that. It seems good. Ahoy. Speaking of anchors. <laughs> and here we are. Here the we are. home of professional podcasting. I have eczema. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a natural transition. Oh, my fingers. It's coming, and I don't like it. (laughs) It's coming. It's coming. The eczema is coming. I don't like it. Dryness. Well. It's gross. Why why would you like it? And I put that whatever skin stuff in. The commercial's telling me that I probably shouldn't like it. Do you have it? No, but the commercials are on all the time. I never used to have it, and then I started making bread. Eczema and psoriatic uh, psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis. Yeah. All these things. I never had it before on my hands, and then I started making bread, so I wonder if it has something to do with the Lots yeast. Lots of drug commercials in the world. It could be. The yeast is, the yeast is eating, eating you. My, eating me alive. Yes. I got lab work done yesterday, and the only thing that I came I feel like it, that could be a new song for you. The yeast is eating me alive. <laughs> I got blood work done yesterday and for the first time in 10 years. Good times. And the only thing that came back is... You have blood? Wrong with me is that I have a vitamin D deficiency. Because I'm like, well, you that's indoors <laughs> before like, I absolutely hate the sun, so that's not surprising <laughs> at all. But, so I, I actually laughed at that. I'm like, well, I loathe the sun, so... And you spent most of the week indoors. I so did. That, that's really... I guess I need to drink some milk or something. <laughs> but anyway, hello. Uh, I'm now back. I've got Cheryl Crow in my head. This is my so. partner, <laughs> Ah, oh, Cheryl Crow, soak up the sun. Didn't like it. Get get the vitamin D. Didn't like it. Didn't like it. Didn't like that song. Don't like the sun. <laughs> George likes. How do you feel about feel about Cheryl Crow in general? I liked her in the nineties. Yeah, I like that song she does with Kid Rock. <laughs> that was actually not crazy about Kid Rock, but I like the song yeah. that she does with Kid Rock. I like the song she did with Toby Mac. Oh, cool. I don't know that one. Yeah, it was. Uh... Now, right now, I'm drawing a blank on it right now. Somebody, you know, if there's anybody out there. Is there, is there, is there anybody, anybody out there? there? <laughs> Are you there, God? <laughs> it's me, Margaret. We're, uh, we're jumping all over, 70s, 90s, all of it. Um, yeah, why am I drawing a blank on this? Um, on the one she did with Toby Matt? Yeah. I'll look at it. Is that the Cornerstone song? I'll look it up for you while you say something profound and Yeah, I could. Yeah. I can't remember right now, but it was on I Promised think it, Land. Promised Land, that's it. Yeah. Anyway, it's appropriate to what we're talking about. Well, oh, that's that's interesting. Good yeah. transition you did there. That was completely accidental, but anyhow, blow your cover. I'm I'm not a big fan of a number of uh, comments that she's made. I, I do, don't I, I don't do, know her as a I do person. dig her voice, uh, and uh, most of the music that I've heard most of the time, but. You know, that probably applies to a lot of folks. There's sure. a, there are some folks I just don't ever enjoy ever at all. And uh, a very small number that I enjoy everything they do. Like Mac Powell could sing the songbook, they sing the phone book, and it doesn't matter to me. That sing the songbook. You know who songbook. I've gotten back Yeah, I think he has sung the songbook. You know who I've gotten back into recently? Who's that? Jewel. Yeah? I used to love Jewel just when I was in. Like Donald know. Trump, right? Small hands. Small hands. Yeah. Jewel's great. Mark, and she went Mark Rubio, Donald Trump reference with Jewel. I mean, I'm sure that that had to have happened during the campaign at some point. Somebody had to have make a, made a Jewel reference. Uh, anyway, if you haven't listened to Jewel in a while, I would implore you. Is she Canadian? Alaskan. Alaskan. She's felt northern somehow. 
Yeah. Probably, went, probably also has a vitamin D deficiency. She probably does. <laughs> Jewel and I have that in common. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. She went so, country, though. She did. So did Cheryl Crow. Yes. Yeah. So, anyway. Maybe they I should do a duet. Give them a call. See if they'll do a duet. Hey, Jewel. Which is actually her real name and not just a stage name. I remember reading that. Yeah. I got her book of poetry in like fourth grade from a scholastic book. <laughs> nice. Was it any good? No, it was oh, horrible. Well, you know. But I'm like, oh, you need to stick to songwriting, girl. But anyway. <laughs> it's funny how, you know, you can take lyrics. And so most of the hymns that we know in church were written as poems without mm -hmm. tunes yeah. and tunes added later. And especially the older ones like the Charles Wesley hymns and stuff. A lot of those older hymns were paired with a variety of different tunes um, because the actual hymn part was the, was the poem with the poetry. Uh, but songwriting in general, when you separate the lyrics from the music, it changes everything. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's like, well, this is garbage. And then you put it in the right. music like, Oh, this is fantastic. Right, right, right. It's so profound. Right. And then you read the lyrics by themselves. and like, that's dumb. Right. <laughs> Who right. says that? You know? Yeah. I was just reading a, uh, uh, Kevin Mack's poem this morning, and, and when he was with DC Talk, he did uh, quite a bit of poetry and stuff. It was, you know, it was the '90s, and he was in his 20s. And so, if you say random, obscure, you That's know, what kinds Jewel of things, yeah. there's just a whole lot of you know, trying very oh, hard to be deep, yeah, it's super deep because you said incongruous statements. You right. know, the you know the the water tastes like heat. You know, some <laughs> dumb stuff. I'm like, you know, oh, okay, like I can smell my thoughts. That's going right? to be in my next it's, song. It's, it's either some, you know, I can smell you. 90s absurdity that's supposed oh, to be profound or some exactly LSD trip did. from the yeah. 70s. But, you know. Like nothing rhymed in Jules poetry right. book. It was like, I am this. So Emma's da -da 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 -da. studying poetry right now in classical conversations. And so they're. I'm not <clears> saying it needs to rhyme, but right. you know. No, but it needs to rhyme. But anyway, that, <laughs> that's that's just my opinion, which is. Right. Anyhow, uh, so Emma's studying poetry, and right now, none of the stuff that they're yeah. looking at is rhyming. So right. they're focusing more on colorful language right. and, and being able to be descriptive and so on and, and developing uh, the writing skills of it. Uh, but the, throughout the, the year, they'll be uh, in a poetry thing. Big, big Shakespeare focus this mm -hmm. year. <clears throat> uh, they do a little bit along the way, but this year is like, bam, lots of, lots of uh, the bard. So... <clears throat> Pardon me, I'm having a little bit of a difficult time with my throat. <clears throat> so coffee will obviously fix that. Nothing like caffeine to help lubricate the throat. But okay. so, somebody asked why I always am drinking coffee during the sermons. I'm like, that's not coffee. That's hot water in in a tumbler. So oh, I never like, assumed it was coffee. I always thought it was cold water. Yeah, no, I, I don't do cold water very often. Who would so, assume it's coffee in that giant tumbler? That's not, a, that's not what you drink Have coffee Have you been around in. Dennis at all? That's. I would know. never think to drink coffee in one of those things. <laughs> that's never. because you're a purist connoisseur with your little French press thing and that espresso doesn't, That maker doesn't seem all, like it would be so good little, for the Little tiny doses and all that. You know, those a little, a little those who way. are, you know, conehead coffee drinkers consuming mass quantities. That's. Uh, I would never think to put coffee in that. Anyway, what are we talking about? I don't know. I, I just want SNL old school. So. Ugh, coneheads. What a stupid movie. <laughs> Never saw the movie. The movie was awful. Well, of course it was, because how can a skit from SNL create a good movie? Superstar Although, was a good movie. Blues Brothers, you know. Okay. So I didn't see Superstar, and I don't believe you. So I mean, it was a good movie. Like <laughs> That was not even a good character. That's like, come on. I, love, I like Molly Shannon. So, anyway. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. Is she doing a duet with Jewel or Molly Cheryl Shannon? Pro? I don't know. 
she's playing now that now she's the mom and all you know sitcoms or whatever so that's when you know you've gotten old that's or yeah and since, i've gotten old. since all these actors that do these things that are old are my age so, you know there's that anyway what are we talking about did the we end, have a podcast? The, the end of the journey. Yeah, this, this, people are saying, "When's the end of this podcast? Can we can we come to the you know podcast what? end you here?" Can turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "Okay." <laughs> They're like, "Stacy's back," but <laughs> but we don't want her to be. just let Stacy talk for no, a minute. So nobody wants me to talk. After last week, I, we seriously we were having far too many followers and listeners, and so we gotta you know, last week just cut them way down. We got rid of most of them. <laughs> Which, I don't uh, know about that. Which happened to the first generation in the wilderness. Hey. Just wiped them out. Took, yeah, you had the Cheryl Crow segue in there and you missed it. Yeah, so. that's because it was an accident. So as, we're, <laughs> as we finally get to Numbers 36, it's funny, you know, it feels like we've been in here for so long. Right? Well, it's we, been at least a year. We've been in the wilderness for like that 40 song years. That was... <laughs> right? <clears throat> yeah, that's right. That you wrote for Chapter 32 when we were Literally in like Chapter 7. Literally a year ago, seven. yeah. So we've been in here like what a year and a half. And uh, my my friend and mentor Dave uh, was listening to his sermon uh, in Romans. He's working through Romans right now, and he was in Romans ten this time, I believe, ten uh, maybe ten ten somewhere in that in that neighborhood talking about the church. And he preached on one half of one verse, and so I'm like, so that's where you get. If I if I did that in Numbers, you know, we'd be here for. 15, George would be graduating. 15 years. Yeah. So, but, you know, that also speaks to, as we've talked about before, the importance of genre and understanding, mm-hmm. you know, the approach to a text. If you're in uh, one of the epistles like Romans, uh, where, where Paul or someone else is presenting uh, propositional truth, you can take a statement at a time and really parse it and break it down and, mm-hmm. and, and get a lot more out of it. When you're looking at historical narrative, like we were saying in Numbers, um, you, you need bigger chunks. You know, sure. if you were to go through and, and take, you know, I don't know, pick a novel and go through a novel and, and you know, look at every sentence, it's not, you're going to miss everything. Right. If you were to take a book of history and, and go through every sentence and every, you know, every step of every battle, you're going to miss something. It's not that there isn't a place for that, but it has to take place within the context of the thing. And so the context of a historical narrative is a bigger chunk. Mm-hmm. You, you need context in all of it, but it's a bigger chunk than what you're going to see in, for example, epistles. <clears throat> Gospels are like that as well. If we, if we go through, which is how unfortunately we normally tend to study the Bible, is in this little quick devotion thing. So we're going to take a statement and we're going to come up with a whole you know, set of beliefs or teachings from it. Um, but we often lift that out of context. And, mm-hmm. and I use Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, so often as a picture of that because people love to quote verses that sound like promises from God that this is supposed to be encouraging. And so Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, the Lord says, you know, I, I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans to prosper you, not harm you. And, uh, and people put this on t-shirts and mugs and bumper stickers and yay, you know, God's, God's got me. But they leave out the fact that God is in the middle of telling them you're going to be here in exile for 70 years. Mm-hmm. It's going to get bad. Buckle up, Buttercup, because it's going to get rough here. Uh, but settle in, because all these people telling you, "Hey, God's got your back, and He's going to get you out of this." They're lying to you. I am doing this. This is something that I am bringing to you. And on the backside of this, this difficulty that you're going through, you're going to find me, and and you're going to seek me with all your heart. But if we if we just take 
29.11 out of that, right. then it can feel like, oh, wow, this is, you know, so super encouraging. And it is encouraging, but it's only encouraging truthfully in context mm-hmm. that you are facing bad things. God is not absent. It's not an accident. God has ordained it to be this way. You don't understand it. You're not supposed to understand it. You're supposed to follow. So then we find ourselves here in Numbers 36. It's like The Rock used to say, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you think. (laughs) Facts don't care about your feelings. So as we're looking at Numbers 36, we come to the end here. And apart from the context, it can feel like, what in the heck kind of a stupid ending is this? My question is, huh? Why, why <laughs> are we ending this narrative about all these big grand things and covenant and with, promised with land? With the long arm of the law. Yeah. And, and so now we're back to Zelophehad's daughters. And to me, I think it's it's very interesting and, and not insignificant that the Lord sees fit to have Moses end this narrative. Uh, it's not the end of the, of the whole story because... Mm-hmm. You know, the, the actual conquest takes place in Joshua. In between, we have uh, Deuteronomy as Moses kind of gives uh, this last hurrah sort of thing as he's reminding everybody <clears throat> of who they are and whose they are and what that means and so on. And he walks them through the history and, and, and all that. Well, now we get to the end of this part and God sees fit to end it in this we often hear the complaints of the Bible is very, very uh, male centric that, that there's a lot of you know, patriarchal things because of, you know, patriarchy. And, and, and that's true in, in many ways. It, it really is uh, not to the neglect of, of women or to the denigration of women, but the to to the emphasis of specific and exclusive roles Mm -hmm. for male and female. God created us male and female on purpose. He gave us different bodies, different minds, different psychologies that God wired into us for his purposes. No matter what we might say in 2023, that we can redefine all of these things. That's not reality. And yet in the midst of what is an otherwise fairly male dominated story, we, we begin, uh, Early on, when we get to the personal elements and not just the large, uh, large-scale elements, there's a major primary role uh, for Moses' sister Miriam, mm-hmm. right? So she's a prophetess, and there's a major thing that goes on there, good and bad, right? And and that's crucial. Uh, I think it would be very suspect if God only gave positive images of women mm-hmm. when He goes out of His way to include both the um, both the, you know, the wonderful successes and the foolish foibles of of his uh, of the great heroes of the faith. You know, see Moses and Aaron and all these others. And, and as God gives a full picture of these people, if He didn't do that with women, it might, might seem suspect. Right. So we see, you know, Miriam uh, turning against Moses and and you know, being cursed for that and, and so on, but also lifting up the people, leading the people in song and, and speaking prophetically and so on. So humans are a mixed bag throughout sure. the, the gospel or the, throughout the, the biblical uh, narratives. Zelophehad's daughters, on the other hand, are not that. We don't see this mixed bag. <laughs> we only see, as we saw back in chapter 27, when we were talking about it, we called them daughters of faith at the time. Um, they come believing God, mm-hmm. believing God's promise, believing what he has in store for them. 
they're in a situation, their father has no sons, therefore the inheritance passes out of the family. Their concern does not primarily be, I'm sure that, you know, because they are human, I'm sure some of it is, you know, hey, what are we going to do if we're left out of the inheritance? Right. But the, that's not what's stated in the text. In the text, their concern is, and people speculate about, you know, all these things behind the scenes and, and why they did this. All I know is what the text says mm-hmm. and everything else is speculation and, and we can come up with it and maybe it's valid and maybe it's not. We can be dogmatic about what the Bible tells us. They come believing God, believing that the land is theirs. They haven't gotten there yet. They've never been into the land. They've never seen the land. They believe that it's theirs because this is what God has told them. So in faith, they then approach Moses and the leaders and say, what are we going to do about our dad's name? Right. His, his name's going to pass from the books. This inheritance is going to go on and there will be no legacy. And God says, they're right. Give them the inheritance. And, and so God establishes in, in what we could call rightly case law, um, which is a, a, a way that God gives progressive revelation as we go along, that, that he clarifies in context what, what's going on for the application of the law that he's already given. So they receive the inheritance. Well, now in chapter, so they're, they're acting in faith. The reason that they're doing this is their faith. So now we get to the end here. We've got all these you know, cool stories, and we end with another bit of case law involving Zelophehad's daughters. And it kind of, in a sense, you know, when, when we look at it just on the surface, out of context, the lyrics without the music, it makes no sense. Right. Like, why, why would you end this this way? So when we look at it, together with the rest of it, it makes all the sense in the world. It's it's interesting that God ends with these women. It's interesting that God ends with these women acting once again in faith and in obedience. But this time the women don't come with the complaint or with the with the case. It's the leaders of uh, the clans of, of Manasseh saying, well, wait a minute. <laughs> If this is all about this land that's going to be you know, within the tribe and the clans, it's going to be passed on. This is the legacy. It's a representation of our covenant relationship with God. What happens if these women then marry somebody from the other tribes? And then that land passes over to them because legally the, the husband's going to take it. So then when the year of Jubilee comes and all the lands go back to, to their original tribal owners, that doesn't come back to us. It's mm-hmm. going to stay with them legally because they will be the legal owners at that point. Um, what about that? And the Lord says, they're right. This is exactly right. And so the the development then of this is the Lord says, these women can marry anybody they want, as long as it's within the, the tribe and clan that, that's going to keep this legacy here. So there's a, a restriction that God puts on there. And as they're uh, working through this uh, this picture, it becomes it becomes an illustration of the lessons that have been getting stacked up for the last 10 chapters, at least as uh, from 26 on the Lord is preparing this new generation, the same way he, he prepared the earlier unfaithful generation, which they ended up rejecting and, and uh, dying in the wilderness. The, uh, the Lord gives, uh, gives these lessons now that are, in some sense, reiterating what he had, had talked to the previous generation and then expanding on that a little bit. So now as he progressively reveals his character to them through, through uh, this case law situation, we end 
with uh, the the melody of this or the core reality of this being something along the lines of the way we stated it on Sunday is that God's restrictions secure blessings to those with faith to obey, right. which is really the heart of this whole covenant principle that we've been dealing with. From the very beginning, God has said, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. You keep my law. If you don't, if you reject me, if you reject my commands and you don't obey my commands and, and throughout, this is not, not new in the new Testament throughout this, the, the, obedience has to come from faith. Mm -hmm. It's not just going through the motions, it's faith. And faith always manifests itself in obedience. That's the nature of it. If you believe me, if you trust me, if you love me, you will obey my commands. It's the same thing that Jesus said. If you fail to do that, not fail stumbling, there's God makes provision for that. But when you have this willful high-handed sin and you say, I'm going to do my thing instead of God's thing, then the, the consequences for that are you get the curses that I had in store for those you're supposed to be driving out of the land. That's what ends up happening to that first generation. They reject God's presence. They reject, reject God's provision. They reject God's protection and they end up wandering in the wilderness until dead. So now with the new generation, it brings them back to all this. This generation is expressing faith and this picture with Zolofat's daughters is, uh, is reinforcing that with us because in the end of this, they don't complain and say, well, but you know, I, I want to love who I get to love. I want, you know, I want to uh, be able to do what I want to do. And, and, you know, but you know, Saul from, from Gad is my soulmate and I need to be with him. And what will I do without him? They don't do any of that kind of stuff. Right. At least it's not recorded for us. They might feel those feelings sure. because we feel feelings, right? There's lots of, of things that, you that. Know, you're, you're raising a, a you know, a young uh, child and young children have feelings Big right? feelings, and their feelings can take them in all sorts of directions. Sometimes they're not good. Often they're not good. Well, my feelings might lead me to eat an entire pizza and then have ice cream and wrongly, all these other yeah. things. Um, when you, it's when never you, happened to me since the last time it happened. To me. <laughs> when you, you know, when you say things in that way and looking at this core reality, I didn't get it at first. And like I said, I listened to part of it on Sunday and part of it yesterday. We missed you. I missed you. Um, I was a potato. Um, I like potatoes. You don't like to be one. Uh, <laughs> I was a baked potato. Um, we covered in butter and cheese. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting into my personal life. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. Well, once again, off the rails. <laughs> it's uh it reminded me what, what I guess what made it easier to get or for it to click into place was the illustration of using it as a parent and child. Mm. And as a parent, you put these restrictions in place for your children for a reason. You're supposed to for a reason, you know, not just to punish them or yeah. be mean fun or whatever. Right. Uh, and you, you put those in place for, for a reason. And because you want to pour out blessings on your children, you want to give them everything and but that often takes boundaries yeah. and and restrictions and when they step out of those boundaries then you have to lay this macif down and uh <laughs> and we've seen that with god throughout this book mm -hmm. and so when you when you look at it at least for me from that lens um this final chapter made more sense because it, it felt to me kind of like a reiteration of of what's being talked about here throughout yeah, the chapter. It, it kind of caps off the, the big somewhere. picture lesson that, that 
God's people needed to learn and we need to learn as well that, you know, God puts us in situations and restricts, limits our behavior in ways that seem perhaps offensive to us, that, that we want to do something else. We wish it were a different way. We and don't we don't like even the like the word restrictions. We don't. You know, <laughs> We don't like the word submission right. or authority or any, any of these things. But apart from that, very much like with parenting, apart from those things, love cannot exist, mm-hmm. right? A, a parent that doesn't set boundaries for their children. Well, you've used that the illustration before, children, letting your child play with a razor blade. And right. Because it's shiny and right. it's pretty and right. it seems cool. Okay. And, you know, that, that's a really neat thing. Yeah. And, you know, that that's not love right. as a parent. And so, you know, the same thing when we tell people, you know, God loves you so much that there's no boundaries, right? So you there's can... There's no rules. You can, you know, God wants you happy. Put your shirt back on. And God does not primarily concern himself with your happiness, right. not not in a temporal sense. Your eternal happiness, your greater joy that that, that lasts, um, that's the emphasis that John Piper makes in Desiring God and his whole principle of Christian hedonism is, is not, you know, as we have turned it into in the soft, mushy brain of new evangelicalism where where we say you know god wants us to be happy so we pursue our happiness but what we're really pursuing is worldly happiness Mm -hmm. that abandons god and and the things that he commands and promises and piper saying look god wants you to chase after to pursue hotly your passion your but he wants your passion to be him Mm -hmm. Not only does he want your passion to be him, you need your passion to be him. Your deepest, highest, longest, greatest pleasure is innately God. And when you realize that and you chase after him, when you are pursuing his presence, his his provision, his protection, and you find yourself happy, in him and most deeply satisfied in him realizing that nothing else there's right. just nothing else that's going to satisfy the longings of your heart right. everything else has the unintended consequences and the the downside but god is the fullness of joy and mm-hmm. everything that you long for and never ending so the greatest joy is the longest lasting joy and if if you recognize that then you're going to be satisfied in him. Right. You're going to desire him and pursue him. And God is, this is, I'm stealing from Piper, um, the, the idea of the Christian hedonism is when I pursue my highest joy, what I'm pursuing is him, mm-hmm. not the things of this world that pretend to offer that joy. Right. And when I pursue him, then God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. That's what what shines the spotlight on on his holiness and greatness and character but if i'm if i'm pursuing things of my own mm-hmm. then i'm going to try to throw off the restrictions right. like like a, a toddler or a teenager that says i i, I don't want mm-hmm. your oppressive regime right How, my, you hate me mm-hmm. or you'd let me do whatever you want to do well you know every you know john hughes movie you see those kinds of of things so the the the, the picture then is you must give me everything I want if you love me. You must support all of my decisions if you love me. But we know that that's not real. Right. It's amazing how often we will pretend it is in our situation because it's not real for in, you, in, but it's any, totally real for me. Right, in any relationship. Right. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, how 
Christians are terrible as far as, you know, our hateful bigotry toward uh, those of LGBTQ. Like, listen, man, this isn't really about that. It's about the big picture of everything. Mm -hmm. So it uh, is same-sex marriage marriage? No, it's not. It, by definition, it's not. That's not how it works. Is that a worse sin than other sin? No, it's perhaps a higher symptom societally of the same disease, the right. same cancer. But but the point is, God has said, this is how we do family because this is how I designed it. And this is how it will secure blessings to you according to my design in a way that will bring you the greatest joy and bring me the greatest glory. Therefore, you don't have to understand it. You have to obey it. Mm -hmm. And by obeying it, you will find my blessing, my presence. Right. By not doing it, you may get many blessings from that relationship but you won't get me. Right. And that's what the daughters of Zelopha had get. When this comes up, it, we're, the, the last thing we're told about them, the last time they're mentioned here is they did what God commanded. They married the, the sons of their father's brothers. So as they're, which, you know, as they're saying cousins you, and so on. It's, your husband. It's just, you know, you could be the seventh cousin right, three right, times right. removed, but it's within the tribe and clan for that. We need to take that same approach and follow God no matter what, even when it's hard, even Period. when we don't get it. And, you know, that's one thing to say on a podcast. It's another thing to live out. Sure. So. We spent too much time talking about Cheryl Crow. So uh, we're going to end there today. <laughs> but thank you guys for listening. I don't know if she would agree with that. Probably she might not. think we well, need yeah. more time. She needs, she needs some relevancy today. Um, thank we you did guys talk for about listening. Your, your song last week. So that oh, was good. good. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, you know where to reach us at this point. <laughs> we will catch you guys next week. We're, if you don't, you probably don't care. That's true. We're going to be talking about the Remembrance Celebration. Yes. In, in 10 seconds? Yes, we will. Okay. We'll catch you guys next time. Thank you.